إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد We began last time the chapter regarding the one who obeys the rulers, the scholars or the ones who they obey as their leaders and scholars, uh, such that they make halal what Allah has made haram, and they make haram what Allah has made halal. And in that chapter, we came across the narration of Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhuma, where he said, يُوشِكُ أَن تَنْزِلَ عَلَيْكُمْ حِجَارَةٌ مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ أَقُولُ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَتَقُولُونَ قَالَ أَبُو بَكَرُ وَعُمَرُ he said, the rocks or the stones, it is as if they will collapse upon you from the skies. I am telling you the messenger of Allah wasallam said such and such. And you're telling me, but Abu Bakr and Umar said such and such. As if to go against the statement of the Prophet wasallam in that way. So he said this statement to them to show them the severity of opposing the statement of the Prophet wasallam or bringing the narrations of others besides the Prophet ﷺ, over and above the statements of the Prophet ﷺ as their evidences. Al-Imam Ahmad, he said, عَجِبْتُ لِقَوْمٍ عَرَفُ الْإِسْنَادِ وَصِحَّتَهُ يَذْهَبُونَ إِلَىٰ رَأْيِ سُفْيَانَ I am amazed at these people who know about the chains of narration, the authenticities of them, yet they still go to the opinion of Sufyan. They know the hadith, they know the narrations, they know the chains. Yet they still go to the opinion of such and such and the opinion of such and such. And then he recited, فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَن تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةٌ أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Let them be warned, the ones who go against his command, that a fitna may overcome them, or a severe punishment may overcome them. We had also seen the statements of the four imams whereby they highlighted it is the priority for any individual to ensure that he is following the statements of the Prophet ﷺ and not blindly following their uh, schools of thought, their madhab. Al-Imam Shafi'i had mentioned, إِذَا صَحَّ الْحَدِيثِ فَهُوَ مَذْهَبِي Whenever a hadith is proven as authentic, that is my madhab. And he said, إِذَا خَالَفَ قَوْلِ قَوْلَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ فَخُذُوا بِقَوْلِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَاضْرِبُوا بِقَوْلِ عَرْضَ الْحَائِطِ If my statement ever opposes the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, then take the statement of the Prophet ﷺ and throw my statement against the wall. Similarly, Al-Imam Shafi'i mentioned, أَجْمَعِ الْمُسْلِمُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ مَنْ اسْتَبَانَتْ لَهُ سُنَّةُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ سَأَسَلَّمْ لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ أَنْ يَدَعَهَا لِقَوْلِ أَحَدٍ كَائِنًا مَنْ كَانْ It is agreed upon by the Muslims that anybody who it becomes clear to him a sunnah of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, that he cannot leave that then for the statement of anyone else, whoever that might be. If a sunnah becomes clear to you, authentic and proven, then you cannot leave that for the statement of anyone else, whoever they are. And Al-Imam Malik said, 
أو كلما جاءنا رجل أجدل من رجل تركنا ما نزل به جبريل على محمد سلم لجدل هؤلاء Every time somebody comes to us with a more eloquent argument and a more eloquent type of discussion and debate, are we going to leave what Jibreel alayhi salam came to the Prophet with due to this eloquent argumentation of such and such and we take his statements? So again, that to highlight, don't do that. Don't follow the statements of men over the revelation. And similarly, uh, Imam Abu Hanifa mentioned, إِذَا جَاءَ الْقَوْلُ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ سَأَسَلَّمْ فَعَلَى رَأْسِ وَالْعَيْنِ if a statement comes from the Prophet ﷺ, then upon the head and the eye, a phrase indicating that we submit to that, we accept that. وَإِذَا جَاءَنَا عَنِ الصَّحَابَ فَعَلَى رَأْسِ وَالْعَيْنِ And if it comes to us from the companions, then we accept that completely. وَإِذَا جَاءَ عَنِ التَّابِعِينَ فَنَحْنُ رِجَالُ وَهُمْ رِجَالُ And if it comes from the tabi'een, then we are men and they are men. Meaning because he was in that generation himself. He was in that third generation, born around about that time, 80 Hijri to 150 Hijri. So he said, from the Tabi'een, we, we discuss, we can look into the affair, we're all at the same time period. But those who come before us, the Sahaba and the Prophet ﷺ, anything from them, uh, we accept completely. Then after that, the Shaykh mentions with regards to this issue of evidences that a person needs to know his own level. Every person needs to know his level and not to consider himself superior or greater or higher than the level he is actually upon. So a person should not raise himself and place himself upon a level which is greater than he actually deserves. And this is in fact a principle of Ahlul Sunnah, a principle from the principles of Salafiyyah, that we place the people upon their levels that are deserving and accurate of them. We do not raise the people above their levels, and we do not degrade the people below their levels. Place the people upon the levels that they are deserving of. So then the Shaykh says, The affair is even more dangerous than that. فَلَا يُوَرَّطْ نَفْسَهُ فِي أُمُورٍ لَا يُحْسِنُ الْخُرُوجَ مِنْهَا So this is a very dangerous affair, the Shaykh says, because here we're talking about making halal and making haram, making something halal, making something haram. And you don't just get involved in that type of thing and making rulings and telling people this is halal and this is haram. And you have no idea about the religion, you have no evidences and proofs and understanding. And similarly, this is something very dangerous because based upon these actions of yours, it could determine your entry into paradise or hell. If you are making halal that which Allah has made haram, or making haram that which Allah has made halal, then you are falling into a grave error. So these are serious affairs. The shaykh says, therefore, do not enter yourself into issues that are above your level and you cannot get out of them once you delve into them. Know the level of your own self and do not get involved 
in affairs that are above you. And this is a great piece of advice from the Shaykh. A tremendous piece of advice. If the people followed this advice, it would aid them and help them greatly in terms of being saved from these trials and tribulations that come about. One of the greatest reasons that these fitan, they continue and they expand and they spread, is due to the ignorant and the young involving themselves in affairs that they have no understanding of, they have no ability to be involved in, yet they insist on being involved in them. And they insist on speaking about them. And nowadays that platform to speak is very easy and open. All they have to do is take to their Twitter or to their other social media and they can start talking about this fitna and that fitna. And they have no understanding and no ability to involve themselves in those affairs. So if only the people they followed the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيَقُلْ خَيْرًا أَوْ لِيَسْمُتْ the one who believes in Allah on the last day, then let him speak good or remain silent. Remain silent if you have nothing good to say. And in particular, remain silent if you do not even know and have knowledge of what it is you are saying. You do not even have the ability to be involved in what you are saying. So remain silent in those affairs. The Shaykh says, everybody needs to know their level and not to involve themselves in things which they'll not be able to get out of afterwards, involve themselves in affairs that are above them. As for the scholars, those who have reached a higher level of understanding, then they involve themselves in the affairs of the religion and deducting evidences and attempting to find the rulings from the evidences. And the Prophet ﷺ said, uh, regarding them, إِذَا اجْتَهَدَ الْحَاكِمُ فَأَصَابَ فَلَهُ أَجْرَانِ When the, the hakim, he strives, the one who has that ability, he strives and looks at the evidences and attempts to find the ruling, what is the ruling. If he gets it right, then he gets two rewards. وَإِنْ اجْتَهَدَ فَأَخْطَأَ and if he strives and he tries, scholar of the highest of the levels, strives and tries, but comes to an incorrect conclusion in the end, then he will still have one reward. For the sincerity of striving and, re- and attempting to find the correct understandings and the rulings. But that is for the people of that ability and that level it is not for the young ones in knowledge and age to involve themselves in attempting to deduce rulings and ahkam and all types of affairs which are beyond their levels. لَكِنْ مَعَ كَوْنِهِ مَعَذُورًا And this is another point to mention. This does not mean that if a scholar strives and genuinely ends up in an error, he has one reward still. But that error... Does it therefore mean we can follow it? No, you cannot follow that error. If the scholar strives and comes to an incorrect conclusion, he genuinely, sincerely was striving, he has the reward for that striving, one reward. 
But we cannot then follow that conclusion he came to if it has become known that it was an incorrect conclusion. You can't say, but the hadith says he'll still get one reward for it. So we can follow that opinion. If it is known that this opinion was the incorrect conclusion, he gets his reward for his genuine, sincere striving. And him being of that level to do so. But for us, if it then becomes known, and the scholars highlight that the conclusion was not correct, you cannot follow it then. You follow what is correct, and you do not follow the statements of the people saying, well, such and such scholar said you can, and there's an opinion somewhere where it says you can, therefore I'm going to do it. If you follow that type of methodology, then as the scholars say, you'll be able to make everything halal. Anything you want to make halal, you'll be able to. Search hard enough, you'll find some scholar somewhere throughout history who said, well, maybe in this situation, that situation, it's okay. If you do it that way, everything you want to do, you'll be able to make it halal, the scholar said. Because that is misguidance. If that is your methodology, it is a misguided methodology. To choose and decide what you're going to do and then strive to find some statement of a scholar somewhere to prove that it's okay. That the scholars say, if you follow this type of way, follow this type of way where you're trying to find evidences to back up all your positions, whatever those random positions may be, shawad, as they say, following these random statements that are away from what the scholars mentioned and the proofs and the evidences, then you're going to end up upon misguidance and upon incorrect practices. So it is not a case of just trying to find some scholar who backs up the opinion you have. That is the way of the people of innovation, in fact. The people of innovation, they, in Aqidah, particularly in the olden days, when the group started to emerge and appear, one of the reasons was they used to decide intellectually what the correct Aqidah should be. Intellectually, they used to decide, no, you can't give Allah these attributes, because that will be comparison to creation. Intellectually, they decided that. Then after having made that decision intellectually, they then went through the Qur'an and the Sunnah to try and scrape together evidences to prove the decision they'd already made. That was the way of the people of innovation. Make their decision on what the aqidah they think should be and what seems good to them intellectually. Then scrape through any evidences, ayat they can put together to half prove their position. Whereas the way of Ahlul Sunnah is the opposite. We go through the Qur'an and the Sunnah and what the evidences tell us, that's where we take our positions from. That's where we take our aqidah from. Not that we make our own position first, then we try and find the evidence to back ourselves up. That was the way of the people of deviation. As for Ahlul Sunnah, then it is upon those evidences that we find what our aqidah, what our correct understanding is in the first place. So the Shaykh, he says here, everybody needs to know their position and not get involved in those types of affairs. And if the scholars of that level, they make that ijtihad, if he makes an error, there is a reward. And if he gets it right, then there are two rewards. But if he does make the error, then it is not permissible for a person to follow blindly upon that error. Then it continues. The statement continues. Of Imam Ahmad, and he says, "Atadri mal fitna." Do you know what this fitna is? Meaning, in the ayah, in the ayah, it had said, "Falihdari ladina yuhalifuna an amrih, an tusibahum fitna." Be warned, those who oppose the command of the messenger, that a fitna may overcome you. He says here, "Atadri mal fitna." Do you know what this fitna is for the one who opposes? 
the message of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-fitna al-shirk. He says the fitna is the shirk. لَعَلَّهُ إِذَا رَدَّ بَعْدَ قَوْلِهِ أَنْ يَقَعَ فِي قَلْبِهِ شَيْءٌ مِنَ الزَّيْغِ فَيَلَكَ That may be a person who rejects some statements of the Prophet ﷺ, then something of misguidance may enter into his heart, and as a consequence he is destroyed. By abandoning and rejecting some of that sunnah, statements of the Prophet ﷺ, then maybe some misguidance enters into his heart as a consequence, and he is destroyed by way of that misguidance which has entered into his heart. So Imam Ahmad, he said, that the fitna is shirk and misguidance. فَسَّرَهَا الْإِمَامُ Ahmad بِالزَّيْغَ وَالشِّرْكِ فَمَنْ رَدَّهُ قول الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم متعمدا تبعا لهوا whoever leaves the statements of the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم whoever leaves the statements of the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and instead follows his desires purposely leaves the statements of the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and follows his desires أو تعصبا لشيخه الذي يقلده Or he leaves the statements of the Prophet ﷺ and follows his desires due to the shaykh that he blindly follows and he has to stick to that. Maybe due to the shaykh that he blindly follows. For that reason maybe he rejects some of the sunnah. فَإِنَّهُ مُهَدَّدٌ بِعْقُوبَتَيْنَ Then that person is given a threat with two punishments. The one who leaves the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and abandons that sunnah, follows his desires, or blindly follows the shaykh that he's following, then that person is given two types of severe warning and threat or punishment. The first of them, misguidance in his heart. That some form of misguidance falls into his heart due to him abandoning the statements of the Prophet. Allah mentioned in the Quran, When they deviated, then Allah deviated their hearts. When they fell upon that misguidance and tread upon that way, then Allah placed that misguidance upon their hearts. وَلَمَّا إِنْصَرَفُوا عَنْ تَلَقِّ الْقُرْآنِ عِنْدَ نُزُولِهِ وَتَعَلُّمِهِ صَرَفَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ عَنِ الْحَقِّ عُقُوبَةً لَهُمْ And some of them it is mentioned in the Qur'an, when the ayat were being revealed, they would turn away from them and run away from them. So Allah placed a barrier in their hearts that they would not accept the guidance any longer. That their hearts were now upon misguidance due to that. Mentions in the Quran, وَإِذَا مَا أُنزِلَتْ سُورَةٌ نَظَرَ بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَى بَعْضٌ هَلْ يَرَاكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٌ ثُمَّ انصرفوا. صَرَفَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ When a surah was revealed, 
Some of them would look to each other and say, can anyone see you? And then they would run away. The ayat were being revealed, they would run away from them, turn their backs away from them. So it mentions, صَرَفَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ Allah took their hearts away from the truth. Put misguidance upon them, their hearts are misguided, closed to the truth. Because they closed themselves off to the truth. When the ayat came, they would turn away and run away from them. So then their hearts were placed upon misguidance as a punishment to them. Similarly, it is mentioned that when a person rejects the truth, it may be the case that as a punishment upon that person, he, his heart is not open to the truth another time. The truth comes to him and he rejects it. The next time the truth comes to him, maybe his heart has become such that it no longer wants to accept it anyway. No longer sees it as the truth anymore. But the first time he had known it was the truth, but rejected it. Refused to accept it. The next time when it comes, as a punishment upon him, his heart may be in such a state that he no longer even recognizes this to be the truth anymore. Let alone be guided by it. So this is like a punishment upon them. لَمَّا رَفَضُوهُ أَوَّلَ الْأَمْرِ عِنْدَ ذَلِكَ ابْتَلَاهُمُ اللَّهُ بِتَقْلِيبَ أَفْئِدَتِهِمْ وَأَبْصَارِهِمْ عُقُوبَةً لَهُمْ فَلَا تَقْبَلُ الْحَقِّ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ وَنُقَلِّبُ أَفْئِدَتَهُمْ وَأَبْصَارَهُمْ كَمَا لَمْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِهِ أَوَّلَ مَرَّةً Allah said, we changed their hearts and their eyesights because they did not believe in it the first time when it came to them. When that guidance came to them, the revelation came to them, they rejected it, they refused to accept it, they refused to take it on and to practice it and to believe in it, rejected it, turned away from it. So then it mentions that Allah changed and turned their hearts, changed and turned their eyes, so that the next time if that truth came to them, their hearts and their eyes no longer want to look at it anymore, don't want to accept it. They have been turned upon misguidance and their hearts and their eyes are upon misguidance now, as a punishment upon them, due to them not accepting it when that truth came to them the first time. وَهَذَا خَطَرٌ شَدِيدٌ and this is a severe danger. This is something extremely dangerous. And this is contrary to the one who accepts the truth and desires it. The person who accepts the truth, then Allah increases him in knowledge and insight. The one who accepts the truth, then Allah increases him in knowledge and insight. Just as Allah mentioned, وَإِذَا مَا أُنزِلَتْ سُورَةٌ فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَقُولُ أَيُّكُمْ زَادَتُهُ هَذِهِ إِيمَانًا فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فَزَادَتْهُمْ إِيمَانًا وَهُمْ يَسْتَبِشِرُونَ When a surah was revealed, then there are those from amongst them who would say, Who from amongst you, his iman has increased because of this surah? Because of this revelation of the Qur'an, who from amongst you, your iman has increased. So as for the ones who were upon iman, then their iman was increased even more. As a consequence of this revelation, the ayat, and the uh, words of Allah that were being revealed. And they were given glad tidings upon that. 
وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٍ فَزَادَتْهُمْ رِجْسًا إِلَى رِجْسِهِمْ وَمَاتُوا وَهُمْ كَافِرُونَ As for the ones who had the disease in their hearts, then for them rigs upon rigs. This can have various meanings. Misguidance upon misguidance, their shirk upon shirk. That they were left upon their misguidance and they were disbelievers and they went further into their misguidance and their kufr. فَالْمُؤْمِنُ يَتْبَعُ الدَّلِيلُ وَيَفْرَحُ بِهِ إِذَا حَصَلَ عَلَيْهِ A believer is happy with the evidence and follows that evidence when it becomes apparent to him. وَالْحَقِّ ضَالَّةُ الْمُؤْمِنِ أَنَّا وَجَدَهُ أَخَذَهُ The truth, it is like some lost property. If you have some lost property, you drop something on the streets of Leeds walking around. Wherever you find that again, you find it somewhere in some street somewhere, you find it in a bin somewhere, as soon as you find it, you recognize it as your item, what will you do? You'll take it back, it's your item. So when you lose something, when you come across it, you retrieve that item and take it back, it's your item. So the truth is like that, whenever you come across the truth, you retrieve it, you take it, you take that truth wherever it is. أَمَّا الَّذِي فِي قَلْبِهِ زَيْغْ أَوْ نِفَاقٍ فَهَذَا إِنَّمَا يَتَّبِعُ هَوَا وَلَا يَتَّبِعُ الدَّلِيلِ As for the one who has misguidance in his heart, has some disease in his heart, then he does not follow the truth, he does not follow the guidance, instead he follows his desires. Follows his desires, does not follow the evidences. وَهَذَا يُصَابُ بِالزَّيْغْ وَالْإِنْحِرَافِ فِي الْعَقِيدَةِ والانحراف في الدين والانحراف في الأخلاق وفي كل شيء عقوبة له من الله سبحانه وتعالى As for this type of person then who follows his desires and not the evidences he will be afflicted overcome by misguidance and deviation in aqeedah deviation in his religion in his mannerisms in everything as a punishment upon him as a punishment upon him for not accepting that truth when it came to him. That is the first punishment for the one who rejects the truth and the statements of the Prophet ﷺ. The second punishment, أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Or that a significant, a terrible torment and punishment, painful punishment overcomes them. أي في أبدانهم maybe physically in their bodies بالقتل في الدنيا perhaps they are murdered in this earth بأن يسلط الله عليهم من يستأصل شأفتهم ويقتلهم إما من المؤمنين وإما من غير المؤمنين عقوبة لهم so maybe they will be overcome by a group whether from the believers or from other than the believers and they will be killed they may be assassinated, physical punishment upon their bodies. Or, when they die, even if they were not murdered and physically punished in this earth, then in the hereafter, they will be punished in the fire. They will be punished in the fire thereafter. فَهَذَا وَعِيدٌ شَدِيدٌ عَلَى مُخَالَفَةِ أَمْرِ الرَّسُولَ Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is a severe warning 
upon opposing the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَتَرْكُ أَمْرِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَالْأَخْذُ بِأَقْوَالِ الْعُلَمَ وَالْأُمَرَةِ الْمُخَالِفَ لِمَا قَالَهُ قَالَهُ الرَّسُولُ صلى الله عليه وسلم فِي التَّحْلِيلِ وَالتَّحْرِيمِ يُسَبِّبُ الْفِتْنَةِ أَوِ الْعَذَابُ الْأَلِيمِ Therefore leaving the command of the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم and taking the statements of their so-called scholars and their leaders, which are in opposition to what the Messenger of Allah wasallam said, in terms of something being halal and something being haram, then that it brings about and it causes this fitna to occur, and it causes this severe punishment to occur. Then after that we have the narration of Adi ibn Hatim. Adi ibn Hatim. He says, "Annahu sami'a an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqra hadhihi al-ayah." Adi ibn Hatim says he heard the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam reading this ayah. اتخذوا أحبارهم ورهبانهم أرباب من دون الله. They took their priests and rabbis as lords besides Allah. فقلت له. So Adi ibn Hatim said to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, إن لسنا نعبدهم. We never used to worship them. Because the ayah says, they took their priests and their rabbis as lords. Adi ibn Hatim used to be from the people of the book, before he became Muslim. He said, but we never used to do that. We never used to take them as gods. We never used to take them to worship them. So the Prophet said, أَلَيْسَ يُحَرِّمُونَ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهَ فَتَحَرِّمُونَ Did they not used to? Make haram what Allah had made halal And you used to follow them and do the same Accept it from them And make it haram even though Allah had made it halal And they used to make haram uh, Make halal What Allah had made haram And you used to accept it from them And also make it halal When Allah had made it haram Adi ibn Hatim said That is true That is correct We did used to do that the Prophet said to him, that is the worship of them. That is what's being spoken about in the ayah that you took them as lords besides Allah. They used to make halal, they used to make haram in opposition to what the revelation was saying. And you, the people, those who were upon that way, used to follow them in that, in making halal and haram in opposition to what Allah had said. So Adi ibn Hatim then, Adi ibn Hatim, it mentions in this narration, questioning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam regarding this particular issue of taking those priests and rabbis as gods. The ahbar and the ruhban. The ahbar and the ruhban. Ahbar typically referring to the Rabbis and the Ruhban typically referring to the priests. Uh, 
that they used to be taken as gods besides Allah. And then it mentions in the ayah, وَالْمَسِيحَ بْنَ مَرْيَمْ غَلَوْ فِيهِ وَاتَّخَذُوهُ رَبَّنْ يَعْبُدُونَهُ They had also, the Christians, exaggerated and taken Isa as a god besides Allah also. And it mentions, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِعْبُدُوا إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا They were not commanded except to worship one Lord, one God. لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا There is no other deity worthy of worship except Him. Subhanahu amma yushrikun. He is far removed and free of the deficiencies of what they perform in their shirk. So Allah termed this action of theirs as shirk. But Adi ibn Hatim, when he heard the Prophet reciting those ayat, he said, We never used to worship them though. He understood worship in terms of bowing, prostrating, ruku'ah, sujood. He said, we never used to worship them. We never used to bow to them, prostrate to them, slaughter for them. We never used to do those things. But then the Prophet ﷺ explained, but did you not used to accept them making halal what Allah has made haram? And accept it from them making haram what Allah has made halal? He said, yes, we did used to do that. In those days when he was with them, he said, yes, we did used to do that. So the Prophet ﷺ said, that is, you... Or those people now taking them as gods besides Allah, taking them as lords besides Allah, accepting the halal and the haram from them, whereas making halal and making haram is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what do we learn then from this particular chapter? What are the benefits to be taken from it? Firstly, the impermissibility to follow anyone in making halal or haram in opposition to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made halal and haram. Number two, obedience to the scholars and the leaders is obligatory unless it is a matter of sinning. If they command you to do sin and opposition to the sunnah, then there is no obedience. But otherwise, obedience is obligatory. Allah said in the Quran, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَطِيعُوا اللَّهِ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولِ وَأُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ O you who believe, obey Allah and obey the Messenger and those in authority over you. And the scholars, they say, that is the leaders and the scholars. Thirdly, the statement of Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما indicates what? indicates that if the statement of a scholar goes against what is directly mentioned in the sunnah, clearly, then you do not take the statement of the scholar over and above what is clear in the sunnah. As Imam Malik said, Kullun rad wa mardudun Everybody can refute others and can be refuted himself, except illa sahibu al qabr, except for the occupant of this grave. Talking about the Prophet ﷺ, he was in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ teaching. And he said, everybody, all of us, we can refute others and we can be refuted ourselves. Meaning we can be right at times and others are wrong. And we could be wrong and others are right. Except for the one in this grave, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. So the statement of Ibn Abbas when he talked about the rocks coming down, it is to highlight that you do not blindly follow anyone uh, in any affair. Especially, particularly when it becomes clear 
that their statement is in opposition to the sunnah. Also, it is benefited from the hadith of Adi ibn Hatim that worship isn't just bowing and prostrating. When the Prophet ﷺ read the ayah, he thought, he didn't understand. He said, we don't worship them though, we don't take them as gods, we never used to bow or prostrate to them or slaughter for them. But worship is more than just that. Accepting and following them in the halal and the haram is a form of worship. Obedience to them in those affairs is a form of worship. So that is incorrect and impermissible. And the one who does that, the eighth benefit, the one who takes these rulers or the scholars and takes their halal and their haram in opposition to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made halal and has made haram, then that individual has taken them as partners alongside Allah, in effect. Because now he is taking from them what the halal and the haram should be, when in reality that is the right of Allah, you only take from the revelation of Allah what is halal and what is haram. So it is as if you are associating partners now. So that is the chapter regarding that issue. Uh, and we'll start the new chapter next time. But if there's any questions so far on that issue, then we can perhaps attempt to take them now before we conclude. Prince, quick question. It's off this subject. Mm. You know, if a child... Child of how many years? Boy or girl? So what's the ruling of the urine of a child? A boy that is one year old. Is he eating solid foods or not? So he's eating solid foods. If he wasn't eating solid foods, what's the ruling? A small baby boy, his urine comes on your clothes. Small baby boy, not eating solids yet, just on the liquids and the milk. He urinates on your clothes. What's the ruling? Not even rinse. Just barely sprinkle water over it. Sprinkle the water over it. Not even washing. Just sprinkle the water over it. If it's eating solids, the child is eating solids, then now the ruling is different. Now you got to wash it properly. But... You're saying you don't know where the urine landed. That means it's landed and it's dried up and it's been a while. That's the only way that could occur. The child urinated on your clothes and you didn't get an opportunity to wash it straight away. Later on when you come around to washing it, now you don't know where that area was. So, ihtiyat would say, ihtiyat meaning just to be cautious, precautious. That whole folk, just wash the whole folk. What is the big issue nowadays? People don't have issues with these things. You put it into the washing machine on the fast one and it takes 15 minutes and you're done. So if you don't know where the urine landed, you know that the child urinated on you, you don't know where it landed, so khalas, wash the whole thobe. In the olden days, these types of issues had more significance. In the time of the salaf when they used to have one garment to wear and that was it. Nowadays the people, mashallah, Put that garment into the washing machine, put it out, and it gets lost, stolen from the washing line, you'd never know in your life. So it's not an issue these days. Just wash the whole garment and you're done. As a fiqh ruling, that would be the case anyway in that situation. If you don't know where the impurity has landed, then you wash the whole garment.
So we'll leave it there. Carry on next week, inshallah, 8 p.m. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.